Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hi there, welcome to Godsplaining. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, and today I am joined by our very own Father Patrick Briscoe. Father, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Father. How are you? Hey, I'm well, too. Things are good. Um, we're kind of in summer mode. We're, we're cruising along. It's great. All things are great. Are you through with stuff on, on campus now? You must be at this point. Yes. Everything is wrapped up and peaceful. I mean, it was just a really wild few weeks. There were so many changes as we were coming out of the pandemic. I mean, things opening up, right? Like in churches uh, in Rhode Island here, we've removed the pews, um, uh, pulling out distance and masks, uh, mask requirements is, have changed even on campus in our last, in our last days of the semester, we had been, we had been masking all times out of doors and that, that changed, um, the, the practice of where masks are worn, um, inside other buildings has changed, you know, and again, uh, some of, some, some of the requirements that have been, that have been pretty, pretty onerous, frankly, um, about the liturgy were lifted in the last couple of weeks. So it really felt as even though we were headed towards the end, um, towards finishing, towards uh, the conclusion of the year, it, 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 it felt new and there, there was new, new life, a kind of, re- uh, new vibrancy. Um, yeah, yeah. There was, like, there was this great energy, up, totally uplifting spirit as we headed towards the end of the semester. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, good. I think, you know, this, this week, Father Patrick and I decided, I guess we've done one of these before, one of our literature episodes, right? Didn't, were, did we chat about Michael O'Brien together? Or was we did, that, yeah. 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 So I think for a while, Father Bonaventure and Father Gregory, they, they read a lot and they do a good bit of reading together too. Um, but so they were doing a lot of our literature episodes. So this is, I think, only the second time you and, you and I have been on, you know, to talk about an author. So if you want to hear us talk about another one. Check out Michael O'Brien. He's one of my absolute favorites. But today we're going to talk about um, about Rumor Godin, who is um, a really, first of all, interesting, interesting woman, um, but also has written some incredible books. It's, I guess, going trying to have a an episode on Rumor Godin is tough because she's written over sixty books, so it's kind of like, whoa, where do <laughs> where do we begin? But uh, I think there there are a few. Oh, well, I know that there are a couple that that we're going to talk about that we've both read that kind of uh, are, are excellent reads, and especially for Catholics. So let's um let's talk a little bit about Rumor Godin first, who she is and um, who she was. I mean, she's she's since passed, but um, and then we could talk about a couple of her books that Father Patrick and I really like. So one of the yeah, one of my goals of the podcast. Um, each each of us have like other projects, but one of, one of the things that. Uh, that I like sharing and discovering and exploring, right. Are the, are the contemporary ways we see faith lived and faith mm. lived well, and especially artistic representations of faith. And that's why I think it's so great to talk about rumor garden because she's a thoroughly modern person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a sense of that at the beginning of in this house of breed. Right. But, but, but God in herself, um, was a convert. She converted to Catholicism in 1968. So let, let's just pause on that historically, the year 1968, and recall that this is just a few years after the closing of the Second Vatican Council, that the, the Catholic Church throughout the world at that time was facing lots of change. And that is the moment that this woman 
uh, decided herself to come to the church. I think yeah. that's a very that's a very interesting thing. In and yeah, and not as a young woman either, because she was born in 07, 1907. She was, she was about 60, 61 years old when she came to the church. So like had lived a full life. Um, she was only a Catholic for about 20 years. She died in, in 98. So I think that's also, you know, you're exactly right. Like entering a church, entering a church that was, yeah, I don't know, kind of going through uh, yeah. some, yeah, what, you know, going through it. Um, difficult to, it's just difficult to summarize everything that was going on because of the, because of the changes in the world, the changes in, uh, in the church, both in terms of organization and worship, um, they, they were, they were real. And so it demonstrates to us the the kind of person that 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 I, that I think is is clearly uh, very very deeply reflective and and I make that argument based on the richness of the novels. I mean, yeah. the the only other person that I could think of that was like this productive, um, you know, and that's not to say that this is uh, authoritative, but would would be someone like Agatha Christie, right? Hmm. That that's a Catholic, that's a known Catholic, um, that has rich elements of faith in some of her her books, but I mean, yeah. Agatha Christie, right? Just, just sneezes and produces produces novels. I mean, that's this her life, um, right? Yeah, yeah. The, I was going to say too. The other interesting thing about like the the time of her conversion um, was that she started looking at the faith in the in the nineteen fifties too. So it was this kind of long, oh, kind of slow um, process of coming to the faith. So even if you think, okay, born in nineteen oh seven. Childhood, so she's English. She she was born, I believe, in Sussex, England. Um, but she spent her young childhood growing up in in, in India. While well, it was Bangladesh, what is part of the Indian Empire, but what is now Bangladesh, because her father was um, uh, he was involved in some trade in you know with with as as being part of the British Empire. Um, she 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 was sent to school with her sisters back in England. But had went back and forth because of the World War or the First World War, really, when she was growing up, and then. Um, but then she moved back to Calcutta and opened a dance school in Calcutta with her sister, and was doing that for a couple of decades. And in that time, started writing and then really producing. But then it was after she had children in the 1950s when she started looking at Catholicism and even just thinking Catholicism, the Catholic Church, 1950 to 1968, just like what is you know just all these things. So I think that she lived through um, through this just in, in, in the world, in the church, growing up in different parts of the world. And some of her books take place in India, some in England. And it's it's just really fascinating. And you see this come out in a lot of her writing, um, all these different different experiences. So I think, Father Patrick, you're you're right on when you say that this is this just shines forth through um through her novels and through her writing. And truth be told, I haven't I haven't read I've read a couple of her books, but I haven't like thoroughly read Rumor God and I'm I'm by no means an expert. But um, you see it even in the couple things when you first pick it up, pick her right. up. I think I think one of the I, I mean there are a couple things that come out that are also important. I think about her biography is that um, she uh, Ruby Garden had three sisters, um, so so she had a, a vibrant childhood and understood from her youth what it's like to 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 be close uh, to be numbered among right. And I think I think she captures some of that in the in the identity of the of the characters of her book particularly the the religious sisters that she writes about mm -hmm. um so not to not to put too much uh psychologically on the experience of rumor Godden's childhood but i think that i i think the fact that she had this this dynamic family experience has certainly informed that right um you know and like like you said although she although she was born in sussex um 
she experienced uh, gr- growing up in India. I mean, so she had a very, like a, lot, like a lot of English people, she had a very br- sort of broad sense of the world, and she didn't return to England until 1947. Um that is, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a long, that's a long time to be away and to, to be, um, to be living in, to be living in, um, just a, a totally different environment than Sussex. Um, you know, she, and she had that, she had a, a, a real deep love of India and, and for land outside of, outside of England. Right. Yeah. So I think, well, this is a good kind of entree into, into the book. So if, if you look at Godin's, um, corpus of those some 60 books that's not to mention like child books and other you know books for children that and other things that she's written but these 60 books uh, perhaps her best known generally speaking is is black narcissus which she wrote and it was published in 1939 and then it was made into a film in 1947 and um i haven't read it so i'm just mentioning it as as from its popularity but it's one of the three one of her three nun books N-U-N, nun, <laughs> not N-O-N-E. Um, so it's about Anglican nuns in India, so black narcissists. But the two that we want to talk about are, Father mentioned one just at the top of the episode a few minutes ago. One is called In This House of Breed, uh, B-R-E-D-E. Breed is it's the name of an abbey. Father's holding it up. I was actually going to bring my copies down to my to my office to hold up, but I knew Father Patrick would hold them up. So if you're looking at, if you're watching the video, they have it. I have a different edition, though. Oh, um, this so, is the new. This is the new. Oh, the Clooney Media. Clooney Media edition. That's awesome. We can plug them at the end where you can find the books. Um, I must but, say a sidebar on this because I'm holding it up. I must say this yeah. is one of their better covers. I think it's a very well chosen image. I like that. I think yeah. it just like perfectly expresses the novel. Yeah. Yeah. So in this house of breed, she wrote in 1969, and then it was this too. That that one was made into a film in 1975, and then we'll we'll talk about it. But the the other one that we're going to talk about is called Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. Which now Father Patrick, that's a cool cover too. Father Patrick's holding up. Um, she wrote that ten years later in 79. Um, so uh, you have these three books about nuns. You have Black Narcissus about Anglican nuns. You have in this house of from 39. You have in this house of breed in 69 about Catholic nuns, Benedictines, and then you have five for sorrow, 10 for joy, and 79, that is about Dominican nuns. Um, so let's talk about In This House of Breed first. Um, to lay to lay the land a little bit, essentially, the book follows the story of a woman named Philippa Talbot, who enters this monastery in 1954. This, uh, this, the Breed Abbey is, I'm trying to remember, it's, uh, is it the Abbey of Breed? Anyways. Yes. Um, yeah, so the Abbey of Breed. So Philippa is this very successful widow, um, English widow who, you know, has sort of risen through the ranks post-World War II, obviously, um, and decides to leave it all behind uh, and enter the Abbey in 1954. So think here, while you're thinking of Philippa Talbot entering the monastery in 1954 of um, Godin's initial movements of conversion in the 50s. Um, So the book follows Philippa, who's a grown woman at the time, who enters the monastery. And basically, the book kind of follows... uh, What's her religious name, Father? Oh, I just blanked on her religious name in the monastery. Do you remember? Because I always remember her as Philippa. Philippa. Um, He's going to look it up now. We should have... This is, you know, poor research. That's all right. And I put him on the spot. Shame on... Shame on me. Um, but essentially, the, the story follows Philippa's life in the monastery, in this Benedictine monastery. Um, and, you know, truth be told, there's not much more to the plot, because it's not a book about 
adventure in that sort of sense. You can correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different read, but it's really a book about human people, about the women in the monastery. Um, there are So it follows her through her formation and through her life in the monastery and then into the early years of the council, of the Second Vatican Council, and how that shapes the monastery, but also how how the women react to that. So um, I think yeah, that, that's I, really the plot, right, Father? Am I for, you know, yeah, absolutely. you could flesh no, it out and, more, but that's the basis. Yep, and I think, I think that the, the key is given away right away um, in... Godin's early description of breed, the motto mm -hmm. of the Abbey is pox, and it's set in a crown of thorns. And I think that I think that this is the incredible thing about monastic life is that it, it promises an otherworldly peace, which it, Godin presents in a, a totally unique way. I really believe that there's no other work about monastic life that is that is that it so thoroughly captures the the kind of uh, the kind of peace in particular, that can be found inside of a monastery, but also the difficulty and the hardship of living that life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not for nothing, as they say up here in Rhode Island, it's not for nothing that that word peace is set in a crown of thorns, because it's only because of the trials and through the struggles of monastic life that that kind of peace can be found. Yeah, I I I don't remember if I read it for the first time in the novitiate or in my first year at the house. It was early in my Dominican life, and I remember going through, not even having to get through the whole book before realizing this. You know, it wasn't like I put it down and then it was this epiphany, but even just in the initial sort of few chapters of getting to know the the sisters in the community, because um, it's kind of a chunker of a book. It's a good read, so you. Godin really spends time, and this is something that I want to talk about, but on on the sort of characters of the book, but kind of thinking, like Father was saying, it's like, rumor Godin did her research. I mean, she went to live at a monastery for a while and just to observe the sisters, but she, for, for someone who was not a religious, um, she didn't live religious life, monastic life, She was a, she's able to get to the core of, of this reality, of this peace, but also this crown of thorns of, of living religious life. There are many times when I was like, wow, this is... This is actually spot on. This is sort of the the dynamic of the book. Um, one of the moments that I think is is sort of iconic for me in the book is um, is that there is a sister who's elected the abbess of breed, and she's elected the abbess um, sort of une unexpectedly. She wasn't the one that was thought that was going to you know was sort of the heir apparent to to the to the. Um, I was going to say the throne, but to, to be the abbess. <laughs> um, and she's elected, and there's this sort of description of the election right after the funeral of the, of the abbess, of the former abbess, which was incredibly descriptive and beautiful, and just the way the sisters mourned her. And, um, and the, you know, so the sister here is elected, and she's now mother, mother abbess, and she's kind of holding it together. And then she goes into the abbess's office for the first time as abbess, and she breaks down. Um, she just loses, you know, she just mm, cannot believe yeah. that she's, and she cries and she weeps and, and it's just like, man, and, and it's, it's not melodramatic in the sense, but, but Godin is just able to sort of capture sort of the pressure of that, you know, that now she's the spiritual mother of all these women and sort of unprepared. And I always have, this is a bit of personal sharing here, always have this, 
you know, in religious life, you're given jobs that you're not never really prepared for, um, but that you and this is perhaps, you know, even the same, like becoming a, a father or mother. It's like, yeah, you can read about it, but then it happens. You're like, oh, my goodness. Um, and, and God has a way of capturing those like emotions and portraying them through the page. And I just found that to be really um, powerful and beautiful. And that happens throughout the book. And but this election is pretty uh, stands out in my mind. Yeah, there, another moment um, for me uh, in in this house of breed that's so powerful is again the the time that it's set in in the novel captures some of the some of the major changes of the church in the twentieth century. Um, and there's a there's a scene with a young sister um, who's a little bit uncouth named Sister Polycarp, and uh, some of the older sisters are a bit wary, even resistant to some of the changes that are being proposed and discussed to religious life, especially about the, the, the desires of the young nuns. Um, and so uh, the, there's, a, there's, a scene where, um, there's a scene where the younger nuns are expressing, in particular, their, their hope for a progressive pope. Um, uh, and, then, uh, and then Roncalli is elected. Um, Cardinal Roncalli asked the nuns disbelievingly, Roncalli, you know, they, they, they can't believe these, these young sisters, um, that, uh, that, uh, Roncalli would be elected. Um, so, the, so there's this, there, there's this sense and portrayal and depiction of, of, of the challenge of the contest of, um, of change in the church that's expressed between the, the, the different views that are, that are named by the nuns, um. Uh, and that that for me is really a is really another extraordinary scene um, that that Godin captures so well. Yeah, well, we're we're just about halfway through here, so let's take a couple minutes. We'll return to some of these themes from In This House of Breed, and then we'll we'll also give some time to the, her other book, Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. You are listening to God's Planning. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to Godsplaining. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand. I'm here with Father Patrick, and on this episode, we're discussing the Catholic author, convert, Catholic author, Rumor Godin. Um, where we have been talking about her book that she published in 1969 called In This House of Breed, which is about follows the life of a woman, Philippa Talbot, who enters a Benedictine monastery. And Father Patrick had just been talking about this scene in the book because Philippa, remember, enters the monastery in the early 50s or the middle of the 1950s. And then um, the, we kind of follow her life into the 60s, uh, where the church experiences the council. And one of the things that I think that uh, that that Godin does, and Father Patrick was just talking about this before the break, is that she looks at um, how it is that uh, the, these changes in the monastery um, affect Breed, the abbey, but also how they affect the church. So I think she uses the book to, to sort of show that. And there are a couple scenes of, um, there, there are Japanese women that are sent, right? This is towards the end. There are Japanese yes, women that are yeah. sent to the monastery to learn to be Benedictine so that they can found a Benedictine monastery um, in Japan. And there's this whole drama of, of, of that and trying to sort of, how does the church kind of, uh, um, adopt different cultures? Yeah. yeah. Adapt. 
Yep. Um, there's a scene where there are Buddhist monks that come and visit the Abbey and there's scandal there. And I don't think Godin, um, she doesn't offer a commentary, but for the story. I think that's right. Uh, yeah. That, and I think that's, that's part of what's so refreshing about it is that she, she presents all of these things as, as just kind of happening. And so you find yourself agreeing or disagreeing or probing or, or confused by the reactions of the different characters themselves. I mean, like may, maybe you didn't know that Ron Colley becomes John the 23rd and, you know, maybe you don't have an opinion about whether that, whether or not that's a good or bad thing, but it's amazing to watch and unfold amongst the, the nuns themselves. And the, this, the moment that you're talking about this, this encounter with Buddhist monks um, is similarly interesting. Um, I think uh, another great, mo another great thing, cause this isn't really a moment. Well, it is a moment. Um, uh, again, at the beginning of the novel, and it sets the tone for the whole piece, is that um, Philippa Talbot, when she's when she's entering the monastery, explains to her little assistant, uh, because Philippa Talbot is a is an accomplished businesswoman, when she explains to her personal assistant what she's doing, she describes the monastery in beautiful terms. She says that the monastery, uh, the the cloistered nuns that are. Um, this is how, this is how she explains it. Okay. She she says to her assistant, an enclosed order is like a kind of powerhouse, a powerhouse of prayer. You protect a powerhouse, not to enclose the power, but to stop unauthorized people getting in to hinder its working. And so, so one of the things that, that you have the, ha, have the, the feeling of, as you go through the novel is that you're being let into a monastery, a place mm. where where you don't, where you don't enter in for these reasons that, that Philippa beautifully expresses uh, that, that the nuns have a duty and there's an order and it, and it doesn't belong to us um, to, to, ex, to explore the life or, or uh, re really get in and start, start to start to twist how, how it, how it works. And I, you know, I very much have the sense from getting to know um, just a bit, some of our, uh, some of our lovely Dominican nuns that, that, that pray so faithfully for us and for, for our efforts. Um, you know, it, it, I very much view them as a, as a, as a powerhouse, you know, I'm not going to climb the fence. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't belong to me to get in and, and, and to tinker with the machinery uh, because they know what their life is about. And the life does something real, which is to, which is to, to pray and intercede on behalf of the church. So, well, the, we're going to leave breed and go over to, um, another novel uh that we already mentioned five for sorrow ten for joy father patrick mentioned dominican nuns these this book is about dominican sisters um who live kind of a cloistered life um i don't know exactly where they fall canonically uh the but they live kind of a cloistered they i think they're nuns that had an, an external apostolate the sisters of bethany dominican sisters of bethany so the book is not about the sisters explicitly, but it's it's a fictional story built up around this congregation. So Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy is the title. Um, and the whole book kind of centers, the, the sort of lay motif throughout the book is the rosary, hence the title. Five for Sorrow, the Five Sorrowful Mysteries, Ten for Joy, the Glorious, and, um, and uh, oh my gosh, drawing a blank, joyful. the Glorious Mystery and the Joyful <laughs> Mysteries. Oh my, oh, wow. you're looking at it right in front of you and you can't even think of it. Ooh. But uh, I do pray the joyful mysteries. Oh, don't worry. I know. Um, so the the rosary. So the essentially this story um, follows the the life of um, a woman named Elizabeth Fanshaw. I think is how you would pronounce her last name, right? And it the well perhaps saying something about the Dominican Sisters of Bethany situates the book a little bit better. So Father, tell us about them. 
Yeah, I th I think this is really the key. So so the story of the Sisters of Bethany actually begins with a young newly ordained Dominican priest who is sent to preach a retreat in the women's prison, a very 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 difficult and notorious women's prison, in fact, in Cadillac, um, in France. So the the priest is um, uh, Blessed uh, Joseph Latast, and Father Latast, um, you know, took this mission. He was sent to preach this retreat uh, at at this prison, and he accepted it with great hesitancy. You know, he didn't have any real any real confidence that it was going to bear fruit. He was very nervous about the obligation. So Latash shows up and he begins his first conference to the, uh, to the women inmates there um, rather famously among uh, um, in this story uh, by addressing them as his dear sisters. He says, my dear sisters, as he begins this conference. And when he began to show these women to reveal to them the love of God, and to address them with the dignity that they deserve as his beloved daughters, as God's beloved daughters. Um, he said, slowly they, their faces rose up. You know, they, they had previously been sort of staring at the ground and no one had engaged him. And when, when love was revealed to them by his preaching, he said their faces lit up and they began to look like uh, flowers after a spring rain. You know, the way, the way the flowers just kind of look up and radiate. Um, so, so we had this beautiful encounter, right, with Latost and these women in prison, um, in, including throughout the retreat, uh, a, a very beautiful demonstration of their devotion to the Eucharist. Um, and so that bears fruit, right? Latost needs to come up with a plan to how to continue to minister to the women in prison and what he can provide to them um, in life on the other side. Right. So the story then follows, or well, uh, what what happens before we get to the story is that Father Latost founds a religious community of sisters um, of, and basically essentially what the community is and what the community becomes is this cloistered sisters that didn't do prison ministry, but they, they have women who, um, whose backgrounds are unknown to the community, but for the superior, I believe. So you have women who join this religious community from normal walks of life, but you also have women who join the community from prison, but this is not something that is, you know, revealed. The women become sisters in the community. So you have this, these sort of uh, all different kind of backgrounds coming into this community to follow Christ. So this is what the story follows. It follows the story of this woman who I mentioned, Elizabeth Fanshawe, who had been a prostitute and was um, a madam at a brothel, headed up a brothel in post-war Paris. Paris, and while um, and and she was serving, she ended up killing a man who she thought was trying to attack a woman that she had sort of taken in, was trying to help. Um, so she was doing time. She did time in prison, converted, joined this religious community. And the way Godin portrays the story is that it's, it takes place in present day with um, Elizabeth Fanshawe as, as one of these nuns. But there are flashbacks back to back to her life and the life through. So you kind of learn her story as she's um, as she's struggling in her own life, you know, to continue to grow close to Christ. Um, so the story follows 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 that, and um, it's it's different than Breed. That in this house of Breed is kind of you know the story of characters. There's less drama in the sense of you know there's not a murder and these kind of things going on, but um, here here there is. So the themes are a little bit different. I think the themes are a little more not on the nose in a sort of bad way, but just kind of presented. The drama is presented more directly and more more in the fore of the story. I don't know if if you yeah, thought that I... when you were reading. A significant part of um, the, the difficulty, the heaviness of Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy, um, 
a significant part of that is facing the betrayal, right? There's there's a real disappointment as Lise, who becomes um, Sir Marie Lise du Rosaire, Sister Mary Lise of the Rosary, um, th th there's a real sorrow because she, again, she tries to help this woman, Vivi, and Vivi continues to betray her. You know, it's just, just one betrayal after another. Um, and so, it, so it, it's a unique story of faithfulness despite those trials, um, mm. partic particularly the, the difficulty of that relationship. Um, but, but there's a strength found in religion, a strength found through the rosary um, that, that is um, portrayed in a, in a really unique way. It's, it can be a little bit difficult to follow. Um, you know, it's not, um, it's not super linear. It's, it's these, uh, this series of flashbacks um, that, uh, that, that, that it, you know, it does take a little bit uh, to get into, but, um, but I think again, uh, the, the kind of, uh, the questions of dealing with guilt and betrayal and forgiveness and healing, um, these are all super prominent in the story because of the nature of the Dominican Sisters of Bethany, this congregation that Father Latast founded, like I mentioned after, after his initially um, uh, very successful work with, with women in prison. Yeah. So um, if you're, I, I think that'll kind of wrap up our summaries, our introduction to Rumor Godden. Um, truth be told, it's just these these two books of Rumor Godden that I've read, they were kind of, you know, in formation at the House of Studies in the Novitiate, there are ways, you know, someone starts reading something and then it kind of gets, it spreads through. So there was kind of like a Rumor Godden phase. I remember a lot of people were reading her. So um, <laughs> sure. I haven't picked her back up, but I I think I've read In This House of Breed twice because I, I really enjoy that book and Five for Star, Ten for Joy just once. It was still excellent all the same. So if you're looking for some something to read over the summer. I don't, I'm sure you can find them on tape, but Clooney Media, which is a great publishing house, um, Father Patrick was holding up they, their reprints, their new reprints of the book. You can find that, uh, find copies there. Um, but perhaps something, you know, if you're looking for some, from some good writing, um, good novels for the summer to pick up, these might, these might be a place to start or one of them might be a place to start. So any final thoughts on rumor Godin, Father Patrick? Yeah, I I think that um, Godin. Now here, this is very bold because uh, I, you know the it doesn't it doesn't quite hold because his his excellence as a writer um, was just so incredible. But there's a way in which Godin is like Dostoevsky, okay, in that um, she 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 presents characters that are that are so complex and so multifaceted, real people that that you um, come to know and proposes answers to the deepest questions, questions like faith and, and betrayal and, in ways that you don't expect, um, that, that, you, that you end up walking away thinking about them um, long after you've, you've, mm. you've carried the novels. They're, they're the sorts of characters that stay with you. Um. Yeah, I think that's right. She has a way of talking about writing about people, um, not particular, I mean, particular people, particular characters, but like people. Um, what it means to be a person and how the person suffers and and kind of is really gets at the heart of that which i love in authors my favorite authors are often those who are really good at developing characters and that sort of thing so there you have it Alrighty, y'all i think that's all we have to say about uh rumor Godin. so yeah like uh, like i already said if you're looking for something to pick up i think father patrick and i would both highly recommend recommend a, a Godin novel um, she's great so 
uh, thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share this episode. Feel free to give it a like. Um, all those things that promote us on our platform and social media, we're very appreciative of that. If you'd like to donate to support us financially, you can, of course, check out our Patreon page. As you know, as we've been telling you, we have our retreat coming up um, in, in July in New York. Uh, so pray for pray for us as we prepare for that. Pray for those coming. Um, stay tuned for other upcoming Godsplaining events. Check out our merch, all the rest. Y'all are probably used to hearing all these announcements. So there you have it. We'll leave you with those. And uh, pray for us. As always, we are praying for you. So until next time, take care. God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.